0: Lord Jesus, as we, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray to be faithful to what, uh, what the text says, what it is intended to say, Lord, that it would point to uh, to you, Lord, to Jesus, that that is who we would see, even in the book of Daniel, as our temptation is going to be to read it and um, at the very best, sometimes we will just gloss over that it mentions the coming Messiah, Lord, and we'll get tied up into knots and predicting what this thing and that thing meant, and um, Lord, we just want to have our eyes and our hearts and our ears opened and uh, ready to receive your word, Lord, that you would have the glory this evening. We pray this in your name, amen. So um, imagine for a moment that you are in Daniel's shoes. You have been captive for about 70 years at this time with your people all of Israel you're captive in babylon and one day you're reading the bible you're reading the book of jeremiah as it were which is what daniel was reading and he comes to a spot which they believe is jeremiah 25:11 and it talks about how long this captivity would last and so daniel all of a sudden gets really excited and he says hey It's coming to an end. It's been 70 years since this thing happened. This is really good news. And so he goes, hold on a minute. Put on the brakes for a second. How did we end up here in the first place? And Daniel, he he reads back a little before in Jeremiah 25, and he realizes we are here because we rebelled against God, because we didn't obey him, because we didn't love him, because we didn't worship him as God. And he goes, oh, no. We still aren't doing that. What are we going to do? And so he immediately begins to pray and to pour his heart out before God and to say, Lord, please, by not because we are worthy, not because we deserve it, but because of your great righteousness, your great love, your great mercy for your people who are called by your name. Would you save us? Would you redeem us? He has a perspective that while... They are undeserving. He knows that God is good and that if anyone can do it, God can. And so that's what we're going to find tonight as we look at Daniel chapter 9. And there, there's a lot in there. And there's, as I prayed earlier, we can, we can focus in and we'll still mention some of the stuff with uh, the prophetic side of what does this mean and what does that mean. And um, at best, we can offer you is a, a great educated guess. And, and maybe it'll be right, but but we really won't know. With that stuff until Jesus comes back. And, and what I want to avoid in this evening is I don't, I, I want to rather make much of Jesus and the fact that yes, he is coming back. Yes, he did come. Yes, he did die. Yes, he did put an end to sin and to transgression. Um, but rather than being on the welcoming, welcoming committee of Jesus, we tend to have this habit of becoming the planning party well, it's going to be this day and this time. And, you know, if you remember, what was it in, was it May? That we just had predictions. Jesus is coming back. by The same guy who predicted that he was coming back in 1994 and he's made all these other predictions. And, uh, you know, and we chuckle about it. But we can, we can become proud and, and puffed up too and say, well, he's wrong because we know better. And, and that's not what we want to be. We don't want to be one extreme or the other, we want to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. And rather than looking at it and going, the most important thing is that we predict when he's coming back, we want to look at it and go, the most important thing is that he is coming. And are we ready? And do we love him? And that's the emphasis of, of Scripture, is do you love Jesus? Are you for him or are you against him? And there's only two sides. So we're going to attempt to read all of Daniel chapter 9 as well. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll just uh, see how that how that goes here. Um, Daniel chapter nine verse one. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus by descent a who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I Daniel perceived in the book of number in the book the number of years that uh, according to the words. Uh, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. And acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law And turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses all this calamity has come upon us yet we have not entreated the favor of our Lord uh, of the Lord our God sorry turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice and now O Lord our God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. As it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. For your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We'll stop there for a moment. I know you're probably like, woo! It's a marathon right there. There's a lot to that. But what do we see here? But Daniel, practicing prayer, as he had done, and what I find the most curious is it doesn't say, and Daniel went before God and started just confessing the sins of his people. Oh, Lord God, I know that they are really messed up. Thank you that I am not messed up, but I really pray that if, you know, you have a little good in you, that you would forgive them and, you know, just sort of ignore that, sweep it under the rug. Daniel, he, he's chosen one by God. He's, he stood up to evil kings. He... He was faithful to the Lord even while they were captive. And it says, no, he confessed his sin and his people's sin. And he viewed it as one and the same. He had such a sense of of belonging and community to his people that he still loved, even though they were unfaithful too. That he, he said, you know, I am just as much in the wrong as they are. I am not righteous because I do good things, is really, I think, what the attitude of Daniel was. And so he puts on the sackcloth in these ashes and fa- mourns and fasts, and it doesn't even tell us really how long this went on. Who knows? Maybe this prayer is a summation. Maybe this is what he prayed every single day as this continued on. But Daniel, he stands up and he begins to, to pray before the Lord, humbly coming to him in repentance. This is something that we don't, we don't like repentance, um, naturally in our flesh when we think of this idea that i've got to come to god um we would rather do it in a way that i'm going to talk to somebody else and i'm going to give them a uh just the bullet points of you know what sin it is i'm confessing and repenting of oh yeah you know i kind of dealt with lust the other day oh yeah you know i'm i'm just really struggling with being really proud and and that's kind of good i'm having a hard time with my spouse We aren't specific. And and Daniel here, he's like, I'm not going to pull any punches. My people and myself, we are guilty before you, God. In in a sense, you would read this prayer and you would think, what is he thinking? No, no, he should come to him and say, hey, I know we messed up, but we're going to do better. Hey, um, they might be bad, but at least I'm not. Would you save us at least on account of myself? No, but he comes to him and instead of saying something arrogant and boastful like that, thinking that he would somehow earn God's forgiveness and His favor, and and God would just pour out His blessings upon them simply because they were good little obedient um, nation of Israel, though they weren't, uh, he comes to him and he confesses his sin and their sin. Well, I mean, that is so counterculture to everything that we think when we. Um, behave in this culture. When, As an example, if you, um, if you watch TV or know of any famous people who have been in the news recently because maybe they were caught driving drunk or um, any any you know, thing that culture would even find unacceptable, anything that even though our culture is filled with sin, they would still go, oh, well, that's not good. They were abusing pain medication or um, they were caught doing this. They were caught with prostitutes or something. And and what they usually do is they march them before cameras and they go on Oprah or they go on some show and they, they stand before everybody and they make what sounds like confession and then they make a sacrifice. And they make some sort of penitence, penitence as it were. They, they say, yeah, you know, I did do that. Uh, I feel real bad about it. Um, tell you what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing that. I got treatment and now I'm going to... Um, make some sort of sacrifice. I'm going to donate money to the poor. I'm going to uh, help the Institute for, you know, advanced learning or something. I don't know, you know, fill in the blank. I'm, I'm going to donate to the Humane Society because I kicked my dog and, you know, and I know that's wrong. And we all go, oh, they're there. Yeah, that was a really nice gesture. But what have they done it, but really earned their own righteousness, right? Earned their own salvation through their righteousness. And that's what we think of when we think of confession. Uh, I'm real sorry. I feel really bad. I feel kind of dumb and embarrassed. I'm I'm sorry I got caught. Um, Hey, pull out my wallet. How how much is this going to cost me? That's the attitude that we have. That is not the attitude of Daniel. Daniel goes, God is perfect and holy and righteous and pure. He can't even look on sin, and yet... He has chosen us and chosen us as his people. And he's poured out his mercy and his grace on us. And we have acted this way. And there's nothing that we can do. We can't bend down and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and and earn our righteousness uh, before God and our, our standing. Even though God made this promise that at the end of 70 years, I'm thinking Daniel's sitting there and looking at it and going, we aren't any better off than when we started. Oh, my goodness. I want the words Lord, uh, the word of the Lord to come true in this, but I think we need to repent. And we need to turn to him and realize that we've been worshiping everything and, and anything that we can other than God. And so he does that. The key verse, I think, in, in all of his prayer there, it comes uh, in verse 18. He says, Oh, oh my God, incline your ear in here. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Key point there. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Even here, Daniel recognizes we, I, we don't come before you because of anything that we deserve. Not because we are good and worthy and righteous, but because you are. And we are simply falling upon your mercy. We throw ourselves upon the mercy of the court. And yet he goes, and I know that you're loving, and I know that you're gracious, and I know that, that you do forgive. And, and I, I'm more concerned about your glory than I am even just your people. Because he says, remember the, the city that is called by your name. He's like, do not let us become desolate because you are the good God who saves and who loves. And, and we don't want to become a byword that says, yep, the God who saves and loves, well, he couldn't save them. He's saying, I want it for the glory of your name. That is the most important thing to Daniel, I think, in his prayer. Yes, he wants to see his people saved. Yes, he wants to see them ultimately rejoicing and have the joy that comes in walking with God the Creator but he says none of that will happen unless they recognize that it is for his glory that he does anything. Um, we, we've been trained in a, a church culture that says it's mostly about me, what God can do for me, how how special I am, you're a champion, um, you've got to believe in yourself, you know. And all of our Bible stories and accounts, um, they're more transformed into self-help messages. And what I mean by that is something like um, the one I always hear is, is David and Goliath. And, and they look at that and they say, and the, the moral of that story is you've got to face your giants and you've got to overcome those difficulties in life and, um, and just believe. But is that really the, the point of that story? That has nothing to do with God. What we need to recognize is this Bible, this life, is not about us primarily. It is about God. And he reveals that to us through Jesus Christ, his son. And his primary reason for everything is his glory. And he gets glory when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You see? You see the difference? So, so the story of David and Goliath is not a story about how you conquer your giants, but how an undeserving people were um, delivered by a loving God. And uh, as uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor, he puts it, the true and better David Who is Jesus Christ conquers the giants of sin and death. How all of Israel couldn't do anything to deliver themselves and they were helpless. Just like we are helpless to save ourselves from our sins. But God sends Jesus, his son, who is represented in David, who wins the victory that is then imparted to everyone else who is there. It's all about God's glory. Daniel understood that. His appeal to God is not one of arrogance. It is not one that says that we deserve anything. In fact, it's one that says we deserve not just nothing, we deserve everything that we get as punishment. In verse 20, he says, And while I was speaking and praying At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Daniel starts off with prayer. And as we often do, and and we will start maybe with prayer, if we choose, if we're walking in the Spirit. And we'll pray, and if you're like me, you'll go, I gave it a good 15 minutes, and God didn't answer me. That, that's the natural sinful inclination of my heart. I doubt immediately. Well, I, I, I even prayed two days. Not two days through, just 15 minutes, maybe, if I was lucky, total, for the two days. I think God knew what I was saying. I think he knew what I was trying to say. But here's the thing. The angel Gabriel reveals, hey, God did know what you were saying from the very beginning. And you can almost picture that he's saying, he set these things in motion before you were even done praying. But you weren't going to see it because it's a series of things that he is setting up to deliver. But he says, he tells him that you are greatly loved. And then he, he gives him a revelation of, of what is going to happen. When we pray... You know, I, I, don't, I can just speak for myself, but it is probably one of my weakest areas in my life is prayer. I know you probably don't want to hear that from the guy who leads worship, but um, it is, it's good for me to be up here and to confess, you know, that's just sin. And I, I was listening to somebody recently, and he said, uh, the greatest hindrance to prayer, what do you guys usually say to this, I'm just so busy, Right? I'm just so busy and I just get, my schedule gets so full and everything just gets so crowded. And I, you know, I, I throw up little popcorn prayers throughout the day and that's good, that is. But the biggest hindrance to prayer is not our busyness, it's our self-sufficiency. How did Daniel start his prayer here? He recognized great need. He saw in his people and in himself a need so great that there was nothing they could do to meet that need. Only God. It was a God sized need. And it's the height of arrogance for us to, to really say, I'll cover most of the bases, God. I'm just going to throw up the things that, you know, are maybe a little too big. What am I, where am I going to live? That kind of stuff. Do, is there anything that we have that we have not been given by God, down to the very breath that we breathe, the next beat of our heart, if we recognized our great need like that, I think that that's something that would revolutionize the way we pray. I think for me that would revolutionize. Because I want to pass it off on how busy I am, but the reason I get busy is because I'm self-sufficient. I think, I, I got this covered. I don't really need help in this area. I don't need to pray about that. Um, I... And what is that really? But, sorry to get off on a tangent here, but the other night, uh, we've been having our men's discipleship groups, and I get to lead a group, and it's me and three other guys, and, and we were sitting there talking, and we just finished up the book of Galatians. And uh, I, was, I was sharing with them some stuff I had heard uh, another person speak on about Sabbath rest. And you know, I, being uh, a grace believing Christian, you know, I kind of want to go, well, we don't need the Sabbath per se, you know, the seventh day, and and I don't want to get legalistic, and and I don't. But the way this guy spoke about the Sabbath was it was a reminder. God set it in place as a reminder that that we need him and that we can take a day and rest or a time and rest, and everything's not going to fall apart because it wasn't us holding it all together in the first place. And, and perhaps if it is you holding it all together, do you really want to be doing something that God is not in, that he's not there holding together with you? And, and I just thought of that. I thought, that again, there's that self-sufficiency thing that keeps me from believing in the grace of God, that keeps me from really truly living out what I say I believe intellectually, demonstrating it in a way uh, that goes, God, yeah, I really trust you in this. I trust that I can take a rest. And and personally, here's what I believe. I believe, yes, you should Sabbath. I don't care what day you do that, but it's a good idea. We need to rest because we are not God. That is the point of the Sabbath, to remind us we are not God. And that is actually what Israel, some of their sins that they did, that got them in this mess in the first place. Because they started believing they had to do it all. They didn't believe God was sufficient. Then they went ahead and began worshiping other gods, and basically it's all downhill from there. When you don't believe God is enough, you're not going to live like he's enough, right? You're going to have a life that's going to demonstrate that. And like I said, we were in Galatians, and you you have this comparison of the fruit of the Spirit, and you have the works of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit grows. How does it grow? How does a tree grow? Rest, right? It just abides. It abides in. And in, in this case, in the example, it abides in Christ. You abide in the Holy Spirit. What is that a picture of, if not Sabbathing, of, of rest, of trusting God is sufficient? I'm just going to abide in him. We should Sabbath. We should Sabbath weekly. We should Sabbath daily. We should have time that's set aside. We should Sabbath monthly and yearly where we have extended periods where we're, we're saying, you know what, I can do this because God is in control and I need to be reminded of that. Sorry, so okay, so that's my tangent. That's my soapbox. I'm off. I'm off it now. Um, So Gabriel brings Daniel this answer, and he says, "Hey, at the beginning of your prayer, I I was issued to go out, and there's going to be an answer. And now I'm here to tell you, and now I'm going to give you a picture of what God is going to do, because yes, what you have what you have prayed, you were right on, Daniel. All of the sin, all of the iniquity, all of the rebellion against God." The God who loved your people, Israel, and who delivered them out of Egypt, who pulled them from slavery, who took a no-name people and made them his own, who gave them his very name. They've rebelled, and and they're hopelessly lost. And here's God's answer to Daniel is even better than simply, hey, I'm just going to show them mercy, and, and I'm just going to let bygones be bygones. Verse 24 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Hit that part again there. To to put an end, or to finish the transgression, that'd be, I believe there's 70 years, to put an end to sin, not just one sin, but all sin. And to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness. Hmm, that's even better than what Daniel was asking for. To seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again, with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering." And on the wings of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out to uh, on the desolator. Okay, this is where everybody gets all hung up and bugging out about, this is how it's going to be. Just in reading this, there's three main interpretations people have on this. But then there's like six more outside of that. And the three main ones, the, the one that I've heard that I think is probably the most uh, correct is... He, he, he gives this seven, 70 weeks, which in, literally it, it reads in the original language, 77, 70 sets of seven. And so they've just gone through a 70-year captivity. But he's saying there will be these 70 sets of seven, which you add that up, that's 490. And I don't think it's a coincidence. What happened when Jesus was asked, hey, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he says 70 times seven, right? 490, I think he's making reference here to this. He's saying the same way that God's about to forgive you guys. He's not saying there's a number on it, but he's saying God's going to bring about the Messiah, that's me, Jesus, and he's he's going to forgive you with his own son, with his own blood, giving you his own righteousness. When you understand the gospel, then you recognize how many times should I forgive my brother? Well, as much as I've been forgiven by Christ, right? Kind of cool, just a thought. I could be wrong. I'm just saying. You can, we can talk later. But so the seventy seventy week period, and we can we can focus in on this. And what does it mean? Is it is it going to be that okay? So that was when they would go out of captivity, and and then the Messiah would come. And yes, and there's um, evidence that shows that from the exact date that uh, you you pick a certain date because they even debate about which date it was that. That decree would go forth to rebuild and, uh, and all that stuff. But uh, one says that it's when Jesus rides into the city uh, on Palm Sunday. And, and I think that's probably right. And he rides in and, and then it says that the anointed one would be cut off. Literally, that anointed one is, is a Hebrew word where we get uh, Messiah. And that anointed one would be cut off. Speaking of his death, I believe. And then he would. we know that Jesus rose and he he ascended. And what people will say is that it is the church age that took over from there. And there's this period of seven years that we have yet to come. And that's when in Revelation, and you see this seven years, the tribulation, that there will be another one, uh, the people of the prince to come. Most people agree that that, most scholars say, that is going to be this um, antichrist figure who will make peace. And then he's going to... Uh, enact that peace, but in the middle of that seven years, he's going to break that peace and, he, um, and basically all hell's going to break loose. It's going to be terrible uh, for, for the people of God. But Jesus will put an end to that. Okay, so maybe, hopefully, if you're, if you're just like, oh, I just love that. I just love the prophecy part. That's great. It's really good to love prophecy. But you can make an idol of it, too. The point of the prophecy is not for you to figure out all those days and dates and, and the special things and to make up your long lists and your charts and your graphs. That's good, if it helps you love Jesus more. Okay? Because the point of this is that Jesus is coming. Don't miss that, because that's the big E on the I-chart. If you're there and you're like, "Mmm, not Jesus, then you've missed it, right? It's not, it is Jesus. So we've got to remember that. That is the point of this. Because everything that Daniel just prayed, Lord, forgive us. Lord, show us mercy. Lord, you've got to figure out a way to make make the sin go away. What is going to be the solution to our biggest problem, our biggest need? It's Jesus. Jesus is the solution. He's the solution to our sin problem. And Daniel, I think he understood, but he didn't understand as we now have the ability to understand. And so it's sad if we go, oh, man this is so great, this is so cool, I'm not not harping on it. I think that it's great to know all that stuff. But if if it takes our eyes off of Jesus, again, we're missing the mark entirely. Because when we talk to people about this, we want to be able to say, hey, it's all about Jesus and what he has done for you. That he has come and he has made an end of transgression and sin. And he has provided a way for everlasting righteousness for you. And you need to embrace that. And if you don't, then you're rejecting him. But if you go, hey, if, if you if you get them all hung up on what the dates are going to be and all the predictions and stuff and, and miss Jesus for them, that's bad. Because you're missing Jesus for you too. And it is only in Jesus that we're going to have that ability to walk in righteousness, that ability to um, live for him. Um, again, what did I say? The, the hindrance to prayer is self-sufficiency. I think that's also the hindrance to anything in our life that is going to be fruit of the spirit. Um, we will try and fake it. I, I had somebody tell me recently, somebody they, they were meeting with, they said um, the person had started reading Galatians and, and they, they got to the part of the fruit of the spirit and They turned to their wife and said, we need to start doing those things. We need to start being more loving and more patient. Is that bad? Is it bad to be loving and more patient? No, but what have they missed? The point, right? It it isn't the works of the Spirit, it's called the fruit. Uh, What you end up with is essentially plastic fruit at that point. I'm going to fake my fruit um, because the power comes from the Holy Spirit living in you. Power comes from Jesus changing and transforming you. He is the only solution. So we can, we can look at this and we can glory in the way God has made his word known. He has revealed his truth. His promises endure and they last forever. He has provided Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would ultimately put an end to sin. He would atone for iniquity. He would bring everlasting righteousness. He'd seal up vision and profit, and he would anoint a most holy place. Uh, Again, there's debate even over that. What is that most holy place? Well, ultimately, Jesus is the Holy One, and we make sacrifice uh, of our very lives to him because of what he has done. Romans chapter twelve, uh, verses one. It talks about that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices before God, that we would surrender to Him. And tonight, if you're if you're here and you're you're like, okay, so what I got out of that is I need to pray more and be more sincere in prayer. Then I'm sorry, that's not. not I'm sorry, I didn't communicate that correctly to you. But if if you're here and you recognize, okay. I am a sinner just like Daniel was. recognized that he was a sinner. I am a sinner just like Israel was a sinner. It's important to see that, too, because we, we look at Daniel and we go, man, that guy was, I mean, if anyone was going to pass the test, that guy, he was good. He was even beloved by God. Most loved. How, what sin did he have to confess? And some of you, that might be your life. You, you might be like me, where you grew up in a Christian home and you've led a pretty good life, and... And you look at yourself and you go, I just don't know. I'm just not that aware of my sin. And then you come to Jesus and you look at his life and you compare and contrast and you go, "Whoa, I fall way short. You know, in the, the story Jesus tells, he says, Let it, let's say that two, two men came and one was forgiven much and one was forgiven a little. Who do you think is going to be more grateful? And the obvious answer the disciples said was the one who was forgiven much. And we look at that and we read it and you go, yeah, it's going to be that strung out former prostitute, meth addict, drug dealer who's going to be the one who's really appreciative. And yes, they will be if they recognize what Jesus has saved them from. But what you miss is we are all the one who has been forgiven much. We were all just as damned and separated from God the Father apart from Jesus Christ. Um... What breaks my heart is I've, I've even had people that I care about and I've had them say, you know what, I, I recognize that, you know, some people need to keep hearing about sin and repenting of sin and, and walking in righteousness, but I don't really need to do that. I don't really sin anymore. Wow. So how did you get to that point is my, is my next question. Because the obvious implication is I got to that point because I did it myself. I earned my own righteousness. God got me started. You know, I got, he got me in the door and then I just took off from there. I really showed him how it's done. Guys, what we, we have to recognize and, and understand is that we don't start the Christian life with Jesus and then go on from there into bigger and better things. Uh, Tim Keller, he puts it like this. He says, the Christian life, is not just the ABCs, or, or the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Zs. It is the door you walk into, and it's the entire building. You, you begin to open other doors, and you see, oh, the gospel, oh, the gospel, oh, here, it's there, it's everywhere. Because it's never meant that you will glory in your own works or righteousness, but then, that in every area of your life, every door inside that building, you will open the door, and you will go, Jesus, 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 he did it. He is the one who's worthy. He is the one who's deserving, not me. That keeps us from an attitude where we would say, I, I don't really need to keep hearing about sin. I, I kind of got that squared away years ago. I mean, other than the sin of pride right there, it's, it's just not true, too. <laughs> it's just not true. We... When we become Christians, it is true that we do sin less. The more you walk with Jesus, the more fruit of the Spirit you you begin to have blossom into your life and grow. And the works of the flesh, they they do minimize. But here's what I believe, and I believe the the gospel, the word teaches this, that the closer I get to Jesus, the more aware of my sinfulness I am. You know, you start off in the Christian life, and, and maybe you get saved, and it's like, oh, man, right! I am just so grateful I got saved out of drugs or I got saved out of the, um, the lifestyle that I was living, uh, whatever it may be, the sexual sin. And, and so we, we think of it as those are the really big deals. And we stop once we're like, okay, I, I don't do those things anymore. But it's when we, if we miss that, hey, envy and pride and gossip and slander and any sort of self-righteous work, those things are just as bad. And those are easy sins to hide because you can hide stuff like pride in simply being really zealous. You can hide stuff like envy in things like, um, well, no, I, I'm not envious of that person. I just really want what they have. Like, you, you find ways to, to reword stuff. But the more we gaze upon Jesus Christ in the gospel and the hope that he has given us, the more aware of our sin we are going to become because we can't view a holy and righteous God in, in the light that he shines and not begin to go, oh, hey, there's a little dirt left over over here. Hey, there's some more over here. A person who thinks that I don't really need to deal with sin anymore because I've dealt with it is probably one who's got so much in there and, and it, it's also telling because you're not allowing the Holy Spirit, to reveal that to you. And you will see that that will that'll also play itself out in things like you won't have a desire for um, the gospel, for fellowship, for ministering to people. You may, you may even have really good external works. You may even be the Apostle Paul when he was Saul, before he was saved. You know, according to the righteousness by the law, perfect. But even he, he said, all those things I count as loss. In fact, rubbish, garbage, waste. Because knowing Jesus is way better than any of that. Because none of those things gave me righteousness. We need to be like Daniel here. I believe he heard this and when he understood, he was like, there's a Messiah coming, an anointed one. He is going to be the one that our hope is fixed in. He is going to be the one who will deliver us from the sins that separate us from God the same way that Israel was separated. And even the way they were chastised and and disciplined by being taken away into captivity, it's, it's similar to our own lives as we rebel against God and we say, I don't need you in this area. He will come along and he may allow things to come along and chastise us. Not as punishment, but his discipline, because it says that he disciplines those whom he loves. But will you be one who is quick to turn to Jesus in prayer and to say, oh God, I recognize how sinful I am. I, I listened to a guy today and he said, I, look at, I listen, uh, sorry, I, when I confess my sin, I think of it as taking a shower. You know, you, you come before God and you're just like, oh man, I, I'm filthy, I need to confess. And it just, he's like, ah, graciously, I'm washing all that away, all of the stink, all of that. Some of us, though, go, no, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't want to bother him, you know. i got to wait till I get dressed to go take a shower for God, you know, so he'll accept me. Um, so I'll walk around in, my, in circles, um, feeling bad for myself, self-loathing, hating myself for the sin that I'm doing, rather than just coming to him, coming to Jesus and letting him take care of it. Others of us will just deny it and say, I don't need to confess my sin. That's not even sin. That smell you smell is, um, you know, it's earthy. (laughs) Something like that. That's that's normal. That's the way I always smell. Maybe it (laughs) is. But we need to come before him in humble repentance. Because, as I said in the beginning... It is about God's glory. And when we confess and repent of our sin, it brings God glory because we say, you are sufficient and I am not. You are the only one who can deliver and I can do nothing. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't earn our righteousness. We can't walk a a certain way. We can't fulfill enough commandments in order to be good enough and then go to God. He says, come as you are. He says, come, all, all who are weary and heavy laden, he'll give us rest. But we say, no, I, I'm going to find rest somewhere else And so that when I see you, I'll be good and rested. It's just backwards. We need, we need to recognize, like Daniel, our great need. We have such a great need. And recognizing that starts with recognizing sin, but ultimately starts with recognizing the glory of God and how far short we fall, and how much we need Jesus. We don't just need him for the big issues in our life. We need him for all of them. So tonight, we're going to continue with some worship. Ken, you can come forward, and we're going to close with that. I want you guys to take the opportunity to, to pray and to confess sin. Um, Chad and Kevin, if you guys want, you can come forward and Guys, if you want to come up and and talk with somebody and just pray and confess and say, I recognize I've been trying to be self-sufficient. I've been denying that God is enough. I haven't been confessing my sin. I've been hating myself, thinking that that will somehow appease and please God, and and then I can go to him and, and really deal with the bigger things. No, put all that aside. Come before Jesus, come before him in humble adoration, worshiping him, and do that in your repentance, in your confession. And and love him and worship him. That's what we'll do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that the gospel is just laced throughout the word. Lord, that the answer to the sin of Daniel and Israel was Jesus. Lord, that you didn't come and say, okay, be good, good enough, clean yourself up just enough so that I can tolerate you, and then then I will love you. No, Lord. You said, I will give, I will make a way. Lord, pouring out your love through your Son. Dying for us in our place rising again, conquering Satan, sin, and death, being our victor, and then offering us your righteousness. Lord, we should never grow weary gazing into that. We should never think that we have that down pat. Lord, may as, as we draw closer to you, may we sin less, but be more aware of our sin, and quick to confess and quick to repent pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.